If you would take your Bibles and open to the book of Haggai. We have two more sermons in Haggai this week and next week. Haggai chapter 2. Before I met my wife, she was a, for a brief period of time, she was a flight attendant for United Airlines. And she was stationed in Denver, Colorado. And uh, she did that for a little over a year before September 11th, and she got laid off after that. But she really, really loved that job. And while she was there in Denver, she lived with three other flight attendants. They shared an apartment together. And she had one particular friend. She shared this story with me that just kind of was kind of humorous. They lived all over the place. This one particular flight attendant that she was a roommate with lived in Texas. And uh, she one weekend wanted to go home to visit her fr- friends and family down in Texas. And if you're familiar with Denver, to go to Texas, you would get on Interstate, I believe it's 25, and head south. And so she got up that morning and got dressed, got packed up, got in her car, and did like what a lot of folks do, got on her cell phone and began to talk with whoever, because it was a long ride, and got on the road and began to drive, and about an hour or so into the drive, she saw a sign that said, Welcome to Kansas. And for those of you who are geographically challenged, Kansas is not on the way to Texas, or at least the part of Texas she was headed to from, from Denver. She had gotten on, I think it's Interstate 70, and didn't realize that she was on the wrong interstate for over two hours. She was distracted. She missed all of the signs. You know, they do let you know, like what the next city is and all of those things. Now, hopefully you've never done anything quite like that. And she knows that I've actually shared the story and just as long as I don't tell her name. She said, that's okay. You know, you can share the story, but we can miss signs, can't we? We can be going along thinking everything is fine. We're on our way to the destination. We're going where we want to go, where we know we need to be, but we're missing some things. Well, in the case of the Jews here in Haggai, that's what happens for them. They think everything is going along just fine. And, and you see here in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, On the 24th day of the ninth month. And if you go back to verse 1, last week it was the seventh month on the 21st day. So their months aren't exactly like ours, but it's been about two months. They've been going along, and I think, as we'll kind of look at this, think things are going well. And Haggai says, I got another message from God from you, and this one is going to kind of, I think, shake them up a little bit. They've missed some things. And there are moments in our spiritual walk as we follow Christ, as we obey His Word, as we, we, we go along, sometimes we can miss some things. I think it's easy for us to fall in the same trap that I think is what's going on here with the Jewish people. And God gets their attention. And in our lives, He'll get our attention as well. And so let's look here in Haggai chapter 2. We're going to go from verse 10 to about, I think it's verse 19. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning in honor of God's word as we see the next installment of the book of Haggai. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. 
Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten, and one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you. With all products of your toil, with blight, and with mildew, and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn indeed? The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Lord, as we look at your word this morning and as we see the message that you communicated to the Jewish nation so many, many years ago, Lord, a truth that uh, spans the, the, all time, how we can miss signs from you, how we can become so complacent in our spiritual walk, Lord, that we miss the relationship that we are to have. And Lord, I pray that you open my eyes, the eyes of everyone in this room, to the truth of your word today. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is a, an interesting section of scripture. It is one that interpreters and, and those have looked at. And there's certain sections of timing that make it somewhat difficult to understand. When he says from this day onward. What day is he talking about? And how is he picturing? And, and all of these things. But we have the basic idea I believe of what God is communicating to Haggai. And I don't really have, you know, the, 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 this is the only screen you're going to see up here. I don't have an alliterated point or anything this, this week because of the way this kind of unfolds. But God, as he speaks to the, the Jewish people, he kind of leads them to a, a, a point. Because he asks, as we see some of these kind of odd questions at the beginning, and then he points out how it applies to them. And, and we see really that it is possible for us to miss things in our spiritual walk. And he starts out, God starts out with what we would call, I guess, the law of purity or impurity or holiness and uncleanness. God speaks. And so Haggai comes and he, he goes to the people and says, all right, God's got some questions. And he calls the priests, the religious leaders. And he asks two sets of questions, one about holiness and one about uncleanness. The first one is about the transfer of holiness. And he says, if you take a piece of holy meat and you put it in like the fold of your clothes, I'll just use my untucked shirt for an example. They didn't dress like this, nothing quite like this back then. And uh, if you took the, the fold of the, the garment, not the actual holy meat, but the fold of the garment and touched something, would the holiness transfer? And the answer is no. The holiness from the meat did transfer to the garment. The first level did transfer, but the second level, the garment to something else, doesn't. And they answered no, it doesn't work that way. So then God says, all right, I got a second question for you. If a person who is, comes across the dead body and touches the dead body and becomes unclean, the dead body transfers the uncleanness to that person. If that person then goes and touches something, you know, the, the, the list here, does the uncleanness transfer? And the answer in this case is yes. 
In other words, the, the, the negative side of it, the impurity, the uncleanness, transfers more easily or more readily than the clean side or the holy side. And you go, okay, great. I got a lesson in Old Testament transfer of holiness. But there's kind of a, a broader understanding of, of what I think God is getting at, especially when we look at the next part. But he's really letting them know, listen, the sense of impurity it, it spreads faster and quicker than, than, than the holiness here. It's a, it's a principle we see in life in general. The negative always kind of spreads easier than the positive. I, re, I mean, if you ever do something in which lots of people observe you or they can see the job that you do, like what I'm doing, I'm speaking here, or you may organize something for a lot of people. And at the end of it, people come up to you and you may have five people or ten people or twenty people tell you how good of a job you did. It was great. It was wonderful. It was amazing. You know, you cooked some food. It was the best thing I've ever tasted. It doesn't matter. Like I say, if it's 20 or 30, if one person comes up to you and says, you know, eh, it's all right. I've had better. In fact, maybe it wasn't really all that good. Which one's going to stick with you more? The 30 that said how good it was or the one that said they weren't too keen on it? We all know, don't we? It's the one. Paul talked about this kind of idea in, in the book of Corinthians. When Paul wrote his letters, the, the probably the, with the exception maybe of the church at Galatia, Galatians, the Corinthians had a lot that were problems. He wrote to address a lot of issues. And if you read the book, especially 1 Corinthians, chapter after chapter deals with specific issues. In chapter 5, there was an especially rough thing going on in the church. There was a man committing adultery with his stepmother. And Paul said, listen, this is something, this doesn't even happen outside of the church. Even the pagan people know this is pretty bad. Yet it's going on in your congregation and nobody really is doing, excuse me, doing anything about it. And in verse 6 of that chapter, he says something in particular. He says, don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He uses a metaphor from baking. Now, I'm not a baker. I don't really, I've made cookies, and they're good sometimes, you know. I'm, I think they are anyway. But when you spread leaven in bread, you just a little bit, however you, I don't know if you sprinkle it or whatever you do, you put a little bit in there. When you put it in the oven and you pull it out, the whole loaf has risen, right? It's, it's permeated the whole thing. It's made the whole thing grow. And it's a picture we see in the New Testament often of sin, that just a little bit, if left unchecked, what happens? It spreads. Its tentacles go out there and it can, and that's what Paul recognized in this congregation. If it's left unchecked, it can destroy things. And God starts out with this interesting little series of questions that he asks the Jewish people that kind of, he says, how does it spread? How does it transfer? How does it work? And the priests answer correctly. And they may be going, what's, what's the point, God? I mean, We've waited for two months. We've been building the temple. We haven't heard from you. Now you speak through Haggai again, and this, this is the question that we get? And after they answer correctly, then verse 14 is kind of the crux of the whole section. Haggai answers and says to him, so it is with you. This transfer, this holiness, this whole, it's, it's with you and with this nation. Notice he doesn't say my people. Whenever it's God speaks and he talks about this nation or this people, he's not in a good mood. So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. Every work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. When I read this, I always picture 
how the Jewish people must have reacted when they first heard this. Because I, I, I can't believe this is what they expected to hear. When we read through, if you read through Haggai, it's not a long book. When you read through it, God confronts them at the very beginning of the book. And he says, listen, you, you've been busy building your own houses, taking care of your own wants, and you've left my temple. Remember, the temple has sat there for 15 years unfinished. You haven't worked on it. They get the message. We read right there at the end of chapter 1. They get to work on the temple. God says, I'm with you. Remember, they said, I am with you. And so they start building. And then we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 2, they get a little depressed because this temple's not going to be as nice as the first one. I mean, at least physically, it's not going to be as impressive as the first temple. And God speaks to them again through Haggai, and he tells them, persevere. As you read through that, he says, listen, I have plans for this temple you don't really know about, and, and it's going to be better than the first temple. The glory is going to be greater because my son is going to be there. They don't know this, but that's, he's telling them this. Your job, persevere. Keep doing what I've asked you to do. I will make sure you have what you need to accomplish what I need you to accomplish. And so they've, you know, they've responded to what God has called them to do. They've persevered. They've moved on. And here we are a couple of months later. Haggai says, I got another message from God. I'm sure they're thinking, all right, something good. And they hear this. And they had to be thinking, what, what, what is, what's God getting at here? Well, as we look at kind of how God speaks here, every work of their hands, what they offer there is, is unclean. To know a little bit of the background of what these people were doing when they first came back and they built the foundation of the temple, they did build an altar. We read about that in Ezra. They did start sacrificing animals again. They did start the festivals that they were supposed to do. They did do some of the things that God called them to do. Even here, they're being obedient. They're rebuilding the temple. But it appears, at least as we read this, that their hearts really weren't in it. That in other words, they were being obedient. They were doing black letter law, what God called them to do, but that's just because that's what they were supposed to do. Not because of a worshipful attitude towards God, their creator, the God of the people. Is it possible for us as followers of Christ to just do what we're called to do without our hearts being in it? Of course it is. I mean, if I were to ask everyone in this room to write down what are some of the traits or some of the things needed to be a, a good disciple of Christ, I would probably get a lot of the similar answers. You know, you can go to church, that'd probably be on there. Uh, read your Bible, that would probably be on the list. You need to pray, share the gospel with people, and other things. But these would be things that most generally I'd get from a lot of the folks in the room. And there's nothing wrong with those answers. Those are correct answers. But let me ask you this. Is it possible to do all of those things, not really be a disciple, not really be doing it for the right reasons? I've been reading a book the past couple of weeks or a week or so about prayer. And it's an interesting book. It was a guy who, who had an opportunity to speak at some churches and through this, it led to, you know, his notes led to this book. And at the very beginning, he, he talked about the struggle so many people have with prayer. He said, universally, and as a pastor, I recognize this, people talk about prayer, they, they just, a lot of people struggle with, with all sorts of aspects of it. They, they, they all know, I know, need to pray more. 
But uh, I, I struggle to pray. My mind drifts, you know, I'll say, dear Lord, and I'll start talking about a few things. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm going through my list of what I got to do that day. And I, I feel bad, and I get back to praying again. And then I know I'm supposed to praise God somewhere in there. So I try and, I don't really know what to say, but I try and say some Bible words that sound good. And then my mind drifts again. And eventually they just kind of throw up their hands and say, let me just go get to work because I can't seem to figure this out. Now, I don't know if that's that, but that, there's a lot of people, they, they struggle in that way. And he said, as he, he dealt with this, he said, one of the biggest problems we have with prayer is we see prayer as an end instead of a means to an end. In other words, people want to have a good prayer life for the sake of having a good prayer life without realizing prayer is just a way to relate to God, to connect with our Creator, to have a relationship with Him. I mean, think if we applied some of the, the concepts of prayer to our relationships with people. Imagine me with my wife. My wife's not here today. Two of my kids got sick last night. So if I get sick this morning, sorry. But uh, <laughs> imagine if my relationship with my wife is, I know I need to have a, a talk. I need to talk with my wife. That's an important thing. And so I, I get a list of various items I need to apologize to my wife for some of the bad things that I occasionally do. Not that that ever happens, but if it did, I need to have, you know, confess some things to her. I need to ask her about her day, talk about the kids, tell her she's pretty, and have this little checklist. And I'll do this every day at 7 o'clock from 7 to 7.10. So every day at 7 o'clock to 7.10, I kind of go through this list. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with, you know, apologizing to my wife when I'm wrong, talking to her about her day telling her she's pretty, giving her compliments. In fact, I should do those things, right? But what if I just did that for those 10 minutes a day and then the rest of the day, the other 23 hours and 50 minutes, I didn't really have much to, to do with her or I never really thought about it. I just, as long as I said those things and did those things, then I'm good. Well, I kind of missed it, didn't I? I mean, talking with my wife is not about going through a checklist of various items. It's about relating to my, my wife. And that was this guy's point about prayer. Prayer, I mean, we, yes, we should praise God. Yes, we bring him our requests. Yes, we talk to him about the things that are going on and what we read in the Bible. But it's not just to go through a list and check things off. It's to, to connect with our creator. And it's easy for us, if we're not careful, to go to church, to read our Bibles, to pray, to do all of these things and miss God's work in our life. It's like driving on an interstate for an hour and a half and we miss the signs. God points this out to them. This is what happens. They miss his work in their life. Notice what he says to them because this kind of brings it together. Verse 18, or sorry, verse 15. Now then consider from this day onward, like I said, it's, it's difficult to know what particular day he's saying. Is it today or? But he says, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? And he talks about they didn't, this is, he mentioned this in the first chapter. They're struggling. They didn't have enough, you know, they're not getting enough food. They're not going to get enough wine. It's not what they expected. They come to draw a certain amount and they don't get it. In verse 17, he says this, I struck you. This wasn't just random. This wasn't just some, you know, this is just normal weather patterns or whatever. I disciplined you. I tried to get your attention. I struck you and all of the products of your toil with blight with mildew, with hail, yet you did not turn to me. If you also read in chapter 1, he talked about drought. 
Now, any one of these things, maybe two of these things, could just be the natural way of it. But year after year of having drought and mildew, which kind of don't go along with each other, they have blight, they have hail, just over and over and over. These things are coming into their lives. And he says, listen, you didn't even, you didn't return to me. Yes, you were going through the, you were sitting there doing your offerings and the the, the festivals. You were black letter law. You were doing what I, I said in my word, but you weren't even aware of how I was trying to get your attention. You missed it. And I can catch myself sometimes in the same capacity. I can do the things that I know the Word of God tells me to do to be a disciple, but I'm just kind of going through the motions. It's when we have ritualistic religion. It's a very possible thing in our lives today. We're no different than the people of Haggai's time. Let me ask, how do you, you, you judge? We, we, well, we come into contact with this in the way of what we call deism. It's not a word you hear a lot today, but it's the way a lot of people in their, their, their discipleship, it's what they've really become. And that's the idea that God is real. People would say, yes, there's a God. I believe in a God. But for the most part, he's like a guy who they use the illustration of a watchmaker. He builds a watch, winds it up, sets it down, and lets it go. I mean, there's a creator. He made the watch, but the watch just kind of functions, and the, the watchmaker is done with it once he made it. For a lot of people, as they, they, they live their Christian life, God's kind of that way. He set up the world. He created it, and, and you know, Jesus died on the cross, and I just live my life. He doesn't really in any way, shape, or form interact with me on a day-to-day basis. They wouldn't come right out and say it, but the way they live their life demonstrates that. How do you know? Let me ask you these some questions. Just think about these for a moment. If I were to ask you right now, how is God working in your life? What would you say? In what capacity? I mean, how in this past seven days, since the last time you are in here, how has God tried to get your attention? Convicted you of anything? Is there something that you've read in his word that has spoken to you? Do you ever even look at your, the, the physical things going through your life in a God lens? In other words, God sit here and says to the folks, I struck you with blight, with mildew, with hail. There were things going on in your life. Do you ever look at any of the events of your life through the lens of how is, why is this happening? What is God speaking to me about? Our emotional and mental well-being, our relationships. How is God molding and shaping you? How are you different now than you were six months ago because of your relationship with God? There can be people that can sit in church, that can read their Bibles, that can pray, and at the end of the year say, well, how has God worked in your life? I, I, I don't know. And so God speaks to them and says, listen, yes, you're rebuilding the temple. Yes, you, you've listened to my word and you've responded when I told you that you had gotten busy about building your houses and all of that. You were going through some of the, doing some of the things that you were supposed to do, but you, I've created you to have a relationship with me. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and called people to repentance, called people to follow him, to be his disciple to know him, to be changed by him. I always think of his message to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Sometimes we get so focused on making ourselves fishers of men that we forget that the actual command was to follow him. He'll do the making you a fisher of man part. 
And so we can get convicted that we can just be going along and missing the signs. The very end of this passage, the very last line, the one you can't forget, but from this day on, I will bless you. It appears that maybe they're getting it together here. They're realizing it. Now, this blessing is not just the concept of the prosperity gospel when he mentions back there that when they go to draw wine or they go to get food that there's not enough there. Yes, I believe God's going to respond that way. But I believe deep down the response is here. I will bless you. You'll be my people again. Remember when he said in verse 14, so it is with this people and this nation, not my people and my nation. They're his. There's the covenant. I understand that. But he's making a point to them saying, listen, you're my people. I'm your God. I think back to the illustration of me with my family. I do talk to my wife, and no, I don't have a list that I do it from 7 to 7.10 every day. But we talk about things. We spend time together. There are certain traits that, yes, I know as a husband and a father, I need to implement with my wife and my kids to develop a relationship. That's, that's the goal. That's why I do the things. That's why I have the conversations, why we have dinner together. And we can eat anywhere, but we eat at the table and talk about our days. Ask them questions about what they're learning. Why? Not just to cross things off on a piece of paper so I can know my kids. And I have to catch myself when I read the Word of God. It's not just to check off a list. Yes, I read the Bible today. Yes, I prayed. But how did the Creator speak to me today? What is this teaching me about my life? What is this teaching me about who He is and what He's done? And when I hear from Him that way, I'm blessed. My life is better because I'm more connected with my creator. You go back to that very opening thing, question that God asked his people there, you know, about the fold of the garment, making things holy and impure. If we're not careful, we think if we just, you know, follow, read the Bible, pray, go to church, that's going to make us holy. That's going to fix all of our problems. I'm just, you know, I'm doing the things People come and talk to the pastor. I'm trying to get my life back on track. What should I do? Well, you should, you know, go to church, read the Bible. But in and of itself, those things won't. Any more than a, a garment that's been made holy by holy meat will transfer. When we have a church full of people that are just there to check things off a list, instead of it having an effect of drawing us closer to God, it infects everybody else to push them away. It becomes a dead place. And so my prayer as a pastor of Cornerstone Bible Fellowship is is we're all here to hear from God, to worship God. When we sing, it's not just, okay, this is the next song, but we sing the words to our Creator. So it's a beautiful aroma that He smells. I have to watch myself every time when I come to church on Sundays. It's easy for me as the pastor, as the guy, to say, all right, did the sound booth, did everything work today? Were the screens good? Did the music go all right? It wasn't too loud, wasn't there weren't too many people doing this, or there weren't too many people doing this. Were there enough people? And then when it's over, I can say, okay, whew, it was good. But did we worship God today? Did I? And I make sure, that's one of my prayers when I sit there and I sing, and today just, just hearing the words and just, It's a glorious day and what that meant and what that means to me. And my prayer is for each of you, you come here, we worship. 
I pray that none of you are missing the signs. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would just bow your heads for a few moments before the, the group comes up to sing our final song. I asked a, a, a series of questions. I want you to just think about it for a moment. If me or somebody in this room just asked you, how has God been working in your life for the past three months, what would you say? If you have that little insert that's in your worship guide, there's going to be uh, that question there. Write it down. To be actively aware of how is God moving in my life? How is he shaping me? My capacity as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, you have various roles in your life too. How is God shaping you in that capacity? I mean, you may be retired. How is God, you know, directing the time that you have as a retired person? Maybe you're a student getting ready to go back to school and how is God preparing you for that? Are you aware of that? Are you, you actively seeking his work in your life? When Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead so we could have life and life more abundantly. Ultimately, that is in his presence when we are away from this sin-drenched world. But even before then, even here on earth, life more abundantly is because we have a relationship with our creator. So my prayer is, are you aware of that this morning? Lord, I thank you for this passage of scripture. Lord, I know it's a, it's a unique one. But Lord, it's a challenge. It's a reminder that it is easy to be moving along, thinking we're going in the right direction, everything is okay, and we're missing some signs. Lord, I think there may be some in this room that are in that capacity. It's, it's such a, a trap to have a dead, empty religion that is just going through the motions. And so, Lord, I pray that you would convict anyone in this room of that this morning, that they would be aware that you are a living God, you're an active God. You're a loving God. You're an involved God in our lives. And we would see your work. We would be convicted where we need to be convicted. We would be encouraged when we need to be encouraged. We'd be challenged, Lord, by you, and we need to be challenged. We would build each other up. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for who you are and for your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.